The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to save GM and Chrysler. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. To this big, bold country that we love, that's what I see. That's the America I know. Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. And I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country. Here he is, America, Verge Bernero. And good afternoon. Welcome to the show, The Verge Show. A lot going on today. Uh, I guess President Trump is uh, starting his victory lap as we speak at high noon. Uh, the Trump, uh, what would you call it, Trump 2.0 or something is starting. Uh, we're going to be monitoring that through the program. Yeah. Uh, so It if, hasn't started yet. If there's so anything uh, real compelling, we'll let you know. I am expecting some big news out of that. Uh, is it the end of impeachment? Uh, how long will Trump's victory lap be? Uh, what is the State of the Union? I don't know what we learned. I did watch every moment of the president's uh, State of the Union the other night, including right down to Nancy's ripping up the speech. Uh, I'd already ripped it up at my house. Uh, so <laughs> obviously Nancy uh, got the memo um, and then ripped up the memo. Uh, then, of course, we had the Democratic response by our own Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who I thought absolutely hit it out of the park, I must say. Um, and then what the H happened in Iowa? I was, it's been a momentous week. Uh, I mean, even my wife, who is really not that political, is like, what the hell? And I, you know, I want to know what's, what, what the results are in Iowa. I said, you want to know the results in Iowa? I said, why? I mean, I expected it to be a hodgepodge, you know, at best anyway, with all those folks running. And, and you know, frankly, I mean, no offense to my friends in Iowa, but I mean, frankly, who cares? So you I think mean, it's a preseason? Yes. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm tired of Iowa and New Hampshire telling me who to vote for. I mean, I've never listened to them and I don't know who they are, who they think they are to be first and second or whatever. Um, I think it's ridiculous to have these tiny states, uh, monolithic, uh, you know, uh, we need more diversity on the front end. And then a state like Michigan that really represents, I think the governor's right about that, Governor Whitmer. Uh, but what, what happened? We're going to try to get to the bottom of that with one of our guests, uh, Susie Turnbull who's going to be on, a big Democratic concho over many years, uh, former vice chair of the Democratic Party. So uh, she's big in in Maryland, has run for office and so on. Uh, So maybe, and she was in Iowa, I understand. She was there. So maybe we can... uh, She may still be there. Maybe we can get... She should be in New Hampshire by now. So maybe we can get to the bottom of it and figure out how we move Michigan to the head of the pack in this presidential primary. Yeah, I just want to back up. Future. It wasn't Whitmer's idea. She no, was... I never said it was her idea, okay. but she's but she's for yeah, it. She's saying she's I would do it. it. Yeah. Uh, so what do you know? So what? And then where is that? What's the state of Democratic primary? Uh, and of course, Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney, the hero of the day. Uh, I've got it all over Facebook twice. It's gotten a tremendous response. Uh, mostly uh, people agreeing with me that Mitt is a profile in courage. Uh, a couple loons on there, a couple oddballs uh, wanting, wanting to take him down. Uh, some people even think that he that he did this as a self-aggrandizing move, you know, as a kind of self-promotion. I mean, you'd have to be a masochist. To, yeah, to he bring, wants a legacy. That's what they you'd, say. You'd have to you'd have to be a masochist to bring something like this on yourself. But I've had people on my Facebook say it's good for him politically. There's no cost to it. 
You're not going to hurt anything by doing it. I disagree completely. How how is, mean, how no is cost, he hurt? No cost to him. The results the same. It's that's completely irrelevant. It's the guy took on just like if you read my Facebook. I mean, I've taken people on on this issue. He it's no political gain to him. Uh, he's 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 look, Virg, he Everybody's even, known that he's a moderate. He can't it's even not go to the a, supermarket. He's not a conservative it's neither Republican. Here nor there. It's neither here nor there. He he took a stand that is going to lead all sorts of scorn, all sorts of hatred. Uh, if if that's easy, then I'd like to see easy on the part of you all. All you big talkers that, oh, he wasn't any, it's no big deal. No, it's a major deal. Some of us have had to make tough, make tough votes in our political career. It is not easy. And he went against his party. I mean, that my, this is my question to you. What are you talking about? He went against all the people, all his friends, all the party. What do you think it is like to go into a room and have people turn their back to you? Okay, the guy is taking on a lot. He can't even go to the supermarket in Utah. What are what are Trump's favorabilities in in Utah? Now, granted, he doesn't have to run for office in a while, but let's hear from let's hear from the man himself. Do we have the tape? Let's hear from Mitt Romney. What he did was not perfect. No, it was a flagrant assault on our electoral rights, our national security and our fundamental values. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. So uh, it was we could go on uh, with Mitt and uh, talking about what a difficult decision it was. Can, for I, him. can I ask you a question? And I don't know the answer to this. It's a legitimately uh, innocent question I'm asking you. And I didn't give you any warning about this. When his dad was accused of being brainwashed, uh, I don't know if you remember that. Nope. I mean, I've. Uh, I was only I was born in '67, so it's yep. all history to me. It's not really something I lived through. But when that happened, did the Republican Party stand by his dad, or did they send him out to dry? Uh, I don't know. I think everybody abandoned him. Well, then that's another reason why he would do this. So that could be a motivation right there. Well, he's certainly following in the footsteps of his father in terms of telling it like it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, the part we didn't hear, he talked about his religiosity and how he prayed about it and how he took an oath. And he takes the oath very seriously. And the oath was to the Constitution, but it was under God. And he talked about his faith and what it meant to him and that he tries to live his faith. Um, so uh, Mitt is a profile in courage. Uh, while Trump does his victory dance, which he's doing right now uh, as we speak, we are going to pay tribute to Mitt Romney's political courage for a moment. And uh, we, we do that because he's earned it. And he's uh, Michigan's own, you know. He is. Uh, he's, you know, Mitt Romney, I believe, made all patriotic Americans proud uh, yesterday. But yes, we in Michigan feel especially proud <clears throat> because of our historic tie to Mitt. His father, George Romney, was Michigan's governor from 63 to 69 and, uh, as Kevin mentioned, was a presidential candidate <clears throat> and was considering considered a, a pretty leading candidate yeah. up until Lou Gordon. he went to uh, Vietnam uh, uh, to get a firsthand tour and came back and used the term brainwashed, said he had been brainwashed prior to the trip and that now he you know, saw the truth. And just that uh, statement seemed to be the beginning. It was sort of like, I guess you could compare it to um, the scream 
uh, of Howard Dean. Howard Dean yes. scream uh, about how many different places he was going to go next. But this uh, isn't the first time, by the way, Mitch showed some guts. When when uh, GM was going through it, he said, file bankruptcy. Do what's right. File bankruptcy. And, of course, that the government the saved him. him. It was one of the things that hurt him in the election, yes. And, and in the end, he was right. They filed bankruptcy. If they had done it when he said they should have done it, maybe it, it would have... It might have been premature at that time. So I promise you, Governor George Romney was looking down and smiling on his son, Senator Mitt Romney, mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, Profiles in Courage, in encyclopedia.com, if you look up Profile in Courage, uh, it talks about uh, this. And so I'm quoting from encyclopedia.com. Throughout his youth, John F. Kennedy suffered numerous ailments. When he endured two near-fatal spine operations in 1954, he decided to put his recovery period to good use. He and his aides, he was a U.S. senator at the time, this is John F. Kennedy, began a book profiling American politicians he admired for their courage and individualism in the face of party and constituent pressures. Kennedy was particularly struck by how these nine men were willing to risk their political careers to maintain the integrity of their personal value system and their love of country. This book, of course, became Profiles in Courage, which was published in 1956. The book won the 1957 Pulitzer Prize for Biography, in addition to the American Library Association Notable Book Award and the Christopher Book Award, both in 1956. In 1989, Kennedy's brother, Senator Edward Kennedy, established an annual Profile in Courage Award based on the principles set forth in the book. It is given every year on John F. Kennedy's birthday to an elected official whose career represents courage and integrity in the face of political pressure. The prize includes $25,000 and a silver lantern. The prize is intended to keep the spirit of Profiles in Courage alive. And, Kevin, I was just in Grand Rapids for the first time, believe it or not, touring the Gerald Ford Presidential mm-hmm. I Museum. I want to do that someday. Um, e- easy to do. And, uh, you know, we... A lot of us, you know, we some of us, uh, and, I, and I remember watching, of course, the Nixon resignation, and you know, Ford pardoned Nixon, and uh, he said our our long national nightmare is over, and he felt that uh, to have uh, to have criminal charges and a trial against Nixon that it would just continue to drag the countries uh, through this this nightmare, and uh, he got he received the Kennedys later gave Gerald Ford. Uh, I saw the lantern this award that they're talking about. He got the Profile and Courage Award. Of course, he lost the election in 1976 to Jimmy Carter. And many people believe it was not a, a slam dunk. I mean, it was a relatively close election. Many people believe that uh, the pardoning of Nixon, although now in hindsight seen as the right thing to do at the time, really cost him, that it, was, it came at great political cost, um, so that it was the right thing for the country, but the wrong thing for him politically. Uh, I believe, I bet that Mitt Romney just won the prize for this year. Uh, it wouldn't surprise he me to see him. He could use the money, I know that. <laughs> uh, I believe he'll get it. But um, So we're going to talk more about Trump's victory lap later. Um, but uh, So you are monitoring. I am. His, I'm monitoring Is, is he up and House. running now? Or he's not. That, the live oh. stream at the White House is still starting soon. Hmm, okay. So he's got everybody on, on pins and needles, as he likes to do. He likes to say uh, stay Either tuned. that or the White House app is broken, which is you know hmm. not out of the possibility realm of possibilities with all of the uh, political apps not working very well, well lately. Well, your, stay tuned, just as Trump would want you, on, on, on the edge of your seat. That's how Trump likes it. He's, he's a reality TV guy. This is a reality TV president, and he wants you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, he's going to come out on a unicycle. Oh, I okay. think something like that. Yeah. Uh, he will, something like that. Uh, he, it, he will have a surprise or two, uh, maybe a pardon or two. 
Uh, pardon my French, uh, but I believe he may there may be some pardons issued today, yet today. No breaks, but, and Susie is there whenever you're so ready. So Susie Turnbull is on the line, uh, former vice chair of the Democratic Party and uh, forever activist, I think, from what I read about her. This will be our first time meeting by phone, telephonically. I understand uh, that Susie's on the line. Susie, I understand you were in Iowa uh, as a volunteer for Mayor Pete, and you got to see the what, what most of us see as a debacle. Uh, as I say, even my wife was perturbed, uh, waiting for the results. Mm-hmm. The, the pundits, the punditry class, was absolutely uh, uh, appalled because they were all waiting. The cameras were rolling, and all they had was a bunch of zeros uh, next to everybody's name. So what in the world? I'm, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, please let us know how you're doing, where you are now, and what in the world's going on with the Democratic Party. Okay. Well, thanks so much. I'm happy to join you. I am actually in Bethesda, Maryland today. I'm home. Did four loads of wash yesterday, having been in (laughs) Iowa for 10 days um, with my husband. And um, we were talking to voters the whole time. And um, what was amazing for all of us who were there campaigning for every candidate was at the caucuses, you had no sense that what was going to happen, either who was going to win. Um, you had a sense when you were at your own caucus who was going to win, but you had no sense what was happening elsewhere. That's number one. And number two, you had no idea that there was a problem with the app and the reporting because it took the caucuses themselves took time. So I mean, there were 500 people that had to be organized where I was. And um, that takes time, and people stayed and waited, and then at the very end, they announced the results, and then we all wrote them down and shared them with our campaign, um, not knowing that we knew more um, among people who were sharing results with each other than the state party knew. So and that you, the so, national so, organization, if the national audience knew. So help me to understand. So you, you, uh, these are, and, and, and help me and our listeners to understand, because these are caucuses. So you knew the results right. of your, of your I caucus? I knew the results of my caucus, and, and I was how many? on a, uh, an e- not an email, but a texting chain with probably 50 other people where we were all taking pictures of our results and sending them to each other. Because, for example, where I was, um, Pete won. This was in Grimes, um, Iowa, which is a northern suburb of Des Moines. Um, and there were two precincts in that um, in that space, in a gymnasium with tape running down the center. And in ours, Pete had won both precincts to almost two to one to the next person. And the next person was different in on one side of the tape and on the other side of the tape. It was interesting. People who hadn't been um, viable on in one precinct actually were viable in the other precinct. So it was, it was very, comp- it's very complicated. But so we texted our results. My husband and I were very excited texting our results um, to our friends, um, people we were campaigning with from across the country, and they were posting their results. And we knew, we, so we had this great sense of 
this is going great. And then we go to Pete's post-caucus party, and on the TVs, you couldn't really hear anything because there were 2,000 people there, and yet you could see the screens saying zero, 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 zero. And then all of a sudden you have different candidates coming out saying how great they did, when in fact the only people I believe who really knew what the results were were the two campaigns who eventually are the winning campaigns, which are um, Pete and Sanders. Okay. Um, so I because wanna... we had people calling in our results to our campaigns, and I just don't. I'm not confident that all the other campaigns had that kind of information. So I have so much to ask you, and I'm not sure how much time you have. I want to mm-hmm. get to, I want to alert you that uh, after we get through this technical, because I have more to ask about the about the app, but, I, but sure. after that, I want to ask you about the process there. Because now, mm-hmm. uh, of course, the whole Iowa process, the caucuses process, are becoming under scrutiny more than ever. And it's been, and of course, the issue of timing, various states, that's an issue. And because of your position with the Democratic National Committee, I want to ask you about the politics of all that. But before we get sure. to that, I want to get your opinion on, now there's all sorts of tinfoil hat theories. Uh, there's talk, and of course, some of them aren't so tinfoil. I mean, some people are saying, is this the beginning of the Russian hacking? Uh, some people are concerned that there you know, was outside interference. So I want to ask you straight away about, you know, do you think, we all understand that with modern technology, anybody that has a, that has a cell phone or a computer knows, has experienced technical difficulties at various times, especially when we try something new. Uh, and I, I, of course, I'm notorious for calling my daughter uh, to get to mm-hmm. the bottom of it. So how much of this right. do you believe is just it was a new app and there was just legitimate, you know, technical things that, that unfortunately went wrong? Or does any part of you believe that there was some kind of nefarious intervention, either domestic or, or, or international type of, uh, of interference? OK, first I'm prefacing my remarks with. Thank God I am no longer an officer of the DNC because this is not my problem in some respects. And so, and, and for the people who have to deal with this, this is really complicated. Now, having said that, um, I don't believe it was nefarious by the Russians hacking. I think this was an app that wasn't tested properly that you didn't have any experienced people working on it. There was no training. And then to make it even worse, you had jammed phone lines and didn't have enough people who were answering the lines to, for the manual reporting. And that in itself is, is just really Unexcusable, inexcusable. I see why you're um, saying you're happy you're not there to have to answer for this. Oh my gosh, yeah. And but I want people to make it also. It's fairly clear. This is an Indiana. This is an Iowa Democratic Party problem. That the the Iowa Democratic Party had a delegate selection plan, which included this caucus that was approved by the Democratic National Committee. Based on, and, and be clear on this, that it, the, the Democratic National Committee heard from the Sanders campaign, has many people who are involved from the Sanders campaign of 2016 
on that committee who made the decisions about how the reporting was going to be done and all those kinds of things and approved it for the Iowa Democratic Party. But what the Iowa Democratic Party and all state parties across the country are administer their own elections. In my state, in Maryland, it's, we have a, we're a primary state, and it's our board of elections is going to administer the election. It is not the party itself. But when you have a caucus, you have a whole different story here. But so, okay, I really appreciate that explanation, Susie. So let me get this straight. So uh, the, the this. I don't know how much uh, in a, that you've been in Iowa in the in the past. So is it safe to say that this is the first time that Iowa, the Iowa caucus has decided, the Iowa local party decided to go high tech, that in the past they've basically done all paper reporting? And so yes, I believe that's the case. Now, it's also the case that this was the first caucus where in each individual caucus there is a paper back backup. People in those rooms filed cards that had their preference uh, for the first go-around and then for the second um, realignment with the candidates' names and signed by the individual who was, who was voting in the caucus. And so the precinct captain, who was there from the Iowa Democratic Party, was a neutral person collected those cards and it was those cards which were then tallied and then that's what was supposed to be going to the Iowa Democratic Party. I mean this is understanding is that all of those cards are now at the Iowa Democratic Party um, offices for a counting each individual card again. So there is a paper backup. Now the other thing you have to remember too is for people like me, we saw it in real in in real time. We saw our caucus, and so there were five hundred people approximately in the in the gymnasium, and all five hundred people know what the results were for that gymnasium. Right. It's not like they anybody can say, "Oh, well, that's wrong" or "That's wrong." It's this. There are all these witnesses. All these witnesses. Plus, you can't send in the numbers three times, yes, for sir. example. Right. I hear right. what you're saying, that uh, Susie, that uh, the the results are not in dispute. Correct. Uh, it's, but 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 it's the, the accuracy and so on. But but what's stunning for most people, I mean, especially if they had the paper, they they had the infrastructure, the human infrastructure there to 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 do it as they always had with the paper ballot. And so one would expect a an experienced pal would uh, an activist participant would expect that uh, the results might be later if the app in the event of an app failure, a technological failure, that the results might be late, but not two days late. Oh, this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I can tell you, in, when I was in college, I went to the University of Cincinnati. I'm, I'm an Ohioan. Um, and when I was in college, election night 1970, so this goes way back, there was something called the um, National Election News Service. And they set up a, a call center at a facility in, the, in Cincinnati, my friends and I went to the call center and got paid. For us, it was a big deal. We were getting like sure. $15 that night to answer the phones and record election results. And 
that. I mean, we've been doing that for decades, for decades. Well, In my case, we're talking oh, 50 years ago I did that. Well, it's you know, certainly it, a cautionary so, tale. This is a cautionary tale. Once again, if we needed a reminder about the need uh, for human infrastructure and kind of some of the old school uh, tactics to be in play as a backup for, for technology, uh, we now have it. You know, thanks to the Iowa caucuses. I want to uh, congratulate you uh, on your candidate, Mayor Pete, uh, coming out uh, on top there in Iowa, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to ask you about if we're ready to move from the particular on the ground uh, uh, technical failures to the issue of Iowa caucuses, Iowa and New Hampshire. And no offense to you as a as a Baltimore, as a Baltimorean or as a Marylander. Marylander. Uh, uh, you know, uh, these small states, those of, and your, of course, you, you identified yourself as an Ohio, so, you know, we're, I, we're, and, and we're here in Michigan. Uh, what about, you know, why are we like chop liver Michigan and Ohio when we probably more accurately reflect the diversity of this great nation? And instead, the Democratic Party is starting off with these really more, uh, I don't know what you say, more lily white, uh, more monolithic politically. Uh, places like Iowa and New Hampshire. I mean, God love them, but why should they be first? Just because, and, and please don't tell me just because of tradition. No, and I and I don't think, and I think that's why they had become first. But I'm really torn having seen, I had never participated in the Iowa caucuses themselves before. I have been to Iowa. I was at the steak fry and this fall. I've been there for debates. I've been there for meetings. I've done that. My husband actually grew up in Iowa City, Iowa. Um, And so, uh, and I have been to New Hampshire for the experience there, starting going back to um, 2000 and the Gore campaign. There is something unbelievably special in this in these small states where the candidates really have a chance to test their messages to meet face to face with voters to really really advocate for themselves as opposed to just tv ads as opposed to tv ads and we've always had people complain about um you know the tv ads and we want people on the ground, and we want people in, in really volunteering. And in Iowa, you had that. I mean, there were there were sixteen hundred and eighty-one, I think, caucuses or something along those lines. Um, and Pete had volunteer captains and teams in all sixteen hundred and eighty-one caucuses. That takes an incredible organization to get something like okay. that going. Okay, okay, I got a, I got a challenge for you, Susie. I hear what you're saying. Now, listen, I have felt this way. This is a serious dialogue. This is probably one of the greatest dialogues about this issue that's going to happen. Kevin, I'm alerting my producer here, Kevin. Um, so, so, Susie, I have felt this way. Okay, I, I've, I've read about this. I never went like you, but I've read about it and followed it. And I was not one of the ones to jump on to say, oh, Michigan should be first. I felt, having read about it and watched it, that there was something special about this very retail 
you know, ground floor level where, where presidential candidates couldn't be removed, couldn't be on a soapbox or on TV. They were right there in people's living rooms, you know, in backyards, at barbecues. I felt there was a, not just a piece of Americana, not just nostalgic, but I, I felt that there was something magical politically, that politically there was a piece of, of, of important retail politics that maybe was missing by the time it got to some of the big states. So I, 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 I was there with you uh, for a long time. And and maybe you can convince me that, that yeah, and and I I don't know if I want to convince you because it's sort of okay that is really remarkable but where could we go where you're going to have 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 more so that it's not a white audience right right and this, so, so I this, mean, is, this is what I want to ask wrong. you wrong that is not who we are so, as so a this nation is my, and that's not right. who we are so, as a democratic parties and so. What I'm planning to do, actually, I'm thinking about going to Nevada and campaigning there, where you do have much more economic diversity. You have different kinds of things. You have rural, you have urban, you have suburban. It's a little crazy because there are only two really major cities, um, but it's there, and and that. And, okay, and I but I have another question for you. As a as a longtime activist and deep thinker about things political, and you know not just big D democratic, but small D democratic, making this democracy, making this polity work. Um, is there another issue that 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 with with the small state experience, with the in your in your face, in your backyard, in your living room, is that really artificial in the sense that in today's day and age? If a candidate can't project through the airwaves and and on the the cell phone and so on, if they're not telegenic and so on, like they're not going to make it. And so, I mean, is it possible that there's kind of a false sense of this? Oh, I really like this guy. He really comes across. He's he's, he's personable. But then in the other states where you're never going to be able to do that in a presidential campaign. I mean, I run, I ran statewide. I think you've run, you had the experience of running statewide, just trying to cover a state uh, like Maryland or Michigan, Uh, but president, most people are never going to shake the hand of the candidate. So are we setting ourselves up by, by having the early states be so important? I'm not saying they shouldn't be in the mix, but by having that, that major emphasis on that retail, very personal politics, is it overemphasized when, in fact, ever since Kennedy, the issue has been how you can project on a TV screen? Right. Now, let's keep, uh, but it, uh, while there's, there's all these people are meeting and, and maybe a quarter of a million people actually went to caucuses the other day, the, the, don't get me wrong, there were TV commercials from morning to noon. I mean, like morning to tonight, all day, every commercial was Political. a different candidate. So that, oh. so that the, the telegenic aspects of it. And then the, the debates, certainly in this campaign, this last year, have really had an impact. The town halls on on um, cable and network TV have had an impact, um, so that quite frankly, some of the candidates just didn't make it. Um, people who had all the money in the world to to compete um, originally, like John Delaney, for example, because he was intelligent um, and and his message just didn't resonate in Iowa, obviously, either. Um, so there's, there is a give and take, and 
I don't think I have the answer, and I don't know what the answer is right now, but I do agree that this this has to be worked out in a way where we don't, in, in elections in the future, have this many candidates for this long a time. Um, yeah. Can I ask you, Susie, when is the primary in your state, in Maryland? Ours isn't until April 28th. Okay. And so, honestly, we we had one deadline so far, which was to file a slate of um, people to run to be delegates to the national convention. You had to file it with the board of elections. You had it was district wide states <laughs> slates and congressional districts. We had sixty five people to file. We filed one hundred and twenty five. Um, potential people, then we, we narrowed it down to the 65 who will show up on the ballot. But some of the candidates couldn't even fill the 65. Bloomberg didn't. Amy Klobuchar didn't. Joe Biden missed one of his um, mm. slots in one of the congressional districts. Um, Telsey Gabbard had, like, a half, you know, a few. Yang had a few. So it was... It, that was a test as of January 24th. The next test for us is what we're planning to do is help in Virginia because uh, we are neighboring states. We have the same media market for a lot of northern Virginia. We have volunteers who work in northern Virginia who live in Maryland and um, vice versa. So we're planning to really help um, at least our campaign, and I th- I would imagine others, are going to be helping in Virginia. Okay. Um, I feel very fortunate to have you for this amount of time. And if you have, I'll monopolize you for another uh, five minutes or so because I want to ask you about the Democratic field. I want to remind our listeners that sure. we're talking to uh, Susie Turnbull, former vice chair of the, Mich- of the uh, National Democratic Party, uh, and was in Iowa. We've talked a lot about Iowa as a volunteer for Mayor Pete, uh, who did come out uh, number one. Uh, at the Iowa caucuses. And uh, so now I wanted to ask you about the field, uh, you know, knowing that you you're, you favor Mayor Pete. Um, I want to mm-hmm. ask you about the overall field, how you see the convention, uh, which is going to be in Milwaukee in what, late July? Um, Mid-July. Uh, Mid-July. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in no time we're going to be uh, heading t- toward Milwaukee to the Democratic c- c- Convention. What do you think? And, and of course, now I'm, I've got somebody really knowledgeable. So I'm so glad to have you, Susie. Um, people talk about a brokered convention. And I assume that that means and I've watched virtually every convention as much gavel to gavel as I could since I was a kid. Um, I assume a brokered convention refers to back in the day when people, you know, didn't come into the before primaries uh, elections and people did not come in already having enough votes to be the nominee. What do you think the odds are on a 50-50, you know, out of 100 percent, what do you think the odds are that we go into the convention in Milwaukee in mid-July and do not have a clear nominee by, by the vote totals? I think there's a there's a real chance. Um, I Because... You just don't. You just have no. There's no clear pathway. I think for anyone. Okay. So can you help us to understand, Susie? The reason is what happens if that's well. well, There's. I want to explain why that's the case. The reason is, for example, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg just were. When when all votes are counted in Iowa, for example, they're going to be 
significantly ahead, like 10 percentage points approximately, 8 to 10 percent, over a lot of the other candidates. But when you come to delegates to the convention, the number is going to be significantly closer. Any candidate that gets 15 percent of the vote in a congressional district is going to have at least a delegate at least a delegate to the convention. So that's a vote. And so people could, when you have so many candidates, you could wind up with someone with you know, 15% in many states getting one delegate and people who are getting 30% and higher getting four in that same congressional district, which is a little crazy when I mean, from the, a standpoint of figuring out the math for the future. So what happens in, in um, Milwaukee in July? What will happen is certainly there will be some candidates who will drop out between now and July, obviously. Who's most likely to drop out? Well, I mean, I think... In, in my vantage point, I don't see a, a long pathway for Yang or Steyer or, or Klobuchar at this point. Um, I think, I mean, every, along the way, as, as people are building up steam, people will be dropping out. I think there'll be surprises. We were all, everyone was surprised when the um, female senator from California who entered the race with such fanfare with a huge following and is from California, dropped out before the end of 2019. Okay, let me ask you a tough one, Susie, because sure. no, no, no current DNC type will answer this question, but I'm going to really put it to you because, like you said, you're not on there anymore, and yet you have all the knowledge and experience. So this, I really need uh, an answer from Susie. You're making her nervous. On this one. <laughs> um, what, what, and you don't have to give me a name. I'm going to pre- pepper you with a couple names, but I just want to know, first of all, truly with your, with your experience and knowledge of politics, which, which is pr- pretty unsurpassed, at least so far on this program, uh, and, and in many places <laughs> of the country, what does the, cause I have my idea, but I want yours. What, what, what does the, what are the characteristics of the, of the dream ticket in 2020 for the, for the democratic party? What? In, a, in terms of a winning, a winning constellation, what what does that dream ticket? What are the characteristics of the dream ticket? If not names, if you want to give me names, fine. But if not, what are the characteristics of that dream ticket, president and vice president? What does it look like? Okay, well, I think for president, I think I ran as a lieutenant governor candidate on a ticket, and we balanced things. We brought together all parts of our party. Um, uh, my Ben Jealous, who was the the gubernatorial candidate in 2018 in Maryland had been a strong Bernie supporter. I had supported Hillary Clinton. I'm from I'm I'm 20 years older than he is. I am a woman. He is African American and 45. He we came from different experiences. I think that a that what what you will look at is people vote for the president. And that's the most important thing, and that the vice president has to be able to bring in more people as well from the standpoint of, like, 
people giving people the uh, recognition that yes I see some of myself here I mean look at Pence certainly added a great deal to the exactly to, to the Trump he's... ticket whereas yes. whereas a lot of people have said and I'm, I'm not you know criticize a lot of people have said that in hindsight but I said it at the time of course Tim Kaine compared to what Tim Kaine brought to Hillary you know, Pence brought much more. And so many people, it's easy to look back. And I love Tim Kaine. He would have been a great vice president. Great right. guy. But he just didn't bring enough to the t- ticket compared to what a Cory Booker might have brought. Right. Exactly. Um, or Sherrod Brown. Sherrod Brown. Right. At least, I mean, for a white guy, he brings a lot. And, and yeah. I love Sherrod Brown. But again, uh, but again, I would have taken... Castro. I mean, there were, there so, were other options there. I mean, there were lots of options there. I think... I think what you want is the chemistry, too. I think that the chemistry between the two is really important. Um, and I, and uh, one of the things that we have seen historically, at least in the, when the Democrats win, when the, my party wins, we win when we have something new, exciting, um, from outside of Washington, really, Okay. Um, now and, you forced me. You forced me into it. Now I'm gonna yeah. have, now I'm gonna have to throw a name at you. Okay. Now, I I really believe this, but don't worry. You I won't don't don't be afraid to crush my dreams. Okay. But I I I want you to know I really believe in this. Um, but I know you're tough enough to just tell me I'm if I'm out to lunch. I believe that we couldn't do better, and may actually need. Michelle Obama on the ticket. Mm. I I think that she is fantastic. I think there is no chance that Michelle Obama w- wants to be in politics um, in that kind she's of. She's smart. She's tough. Oh, she's fantastic, and and I have to say that I love her more since reading her book than I loved her as as first lady. I, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's possible. But here, a year ago now, you wouldn't have heard and didn't, wouldn't have known about Pete Buttigieg. And look at what this 38-year-old um, veteran from a mid-sized city in Indiana has been able to accomplish. Think about that. Susie. I mean, I, I love you, but I think that she, it, it, she could be almost compared to Sarah Palin more than he can be compared to a Bill Clinton or a Barack Obama. I just oh. don't think he brings enough credibility yet. He hasn't earned it yet. That's Kevin Collard. I do feel he's a little young. Uh, and, okay, and- here's when you think. Okay, think back. Martin Luther King was 39 when he was assassinated. Look what he did before then. You look at Macron now, who was younger than Pete Buttigieg when he took office in France. How old is Pete? Look at the, I don't know how much, how old he is now, but he was younger than Pete is now. I mean, he looks 28, but he's Pete's 38, right? Yeah, Pete's 38. Um, You look at the the, um, prime minister of New Zealand, who acted immediately after the of a terrorist attack in New Zealand. I love her, but that's New Zealand. They but, do that. But basically... Yeah, Canada uh, has a young leader, too. I, but. I will tell you, you can't... 
what, all of us anywhere will look at something and say, can, can you, judgment, judgment is equally as important as experience, and I would take Pete Buttigieg's judgment over anybody in this field. And, and look, I've been doing this, I told you, 1970, I'm taking election results. I was on the Democratic National Committee for, for 20 years, for 20 years, and served with all of, uh, almost all of the people who are currently running for president. I campaigned with Bernie Sanders. I campaigned with Elizabeth Warren. She came to Maryland and did a fundraiser. Private home, $1,000 a head. Just wanted to throw that out yeah. um, for, for Ben and I. Um, I've known her for 25 years. Yeah, what, about, known, Liz, what about Elizabeth Warren? I worked Warren? with Kirsten Gillibrand. How can, you, how can you go against a woman like Elizabeth Warren, hey. an accomplished woman with her experience, with her knowledge? She's so feisty. I mean, she gets me all worked up. She, the way she punches her. I think she's terrific. She do turned, I she think? turned a hard left. That She followed Bernie Sanders. Okay, hey, well. Do I, do I think that Elizabeth would be a, a good president? Absolutely. But do I think that Amy Klobuchar would be? Absolutely. But who did I pick? I know all of these candidates. I know them personally. And I picked Pete Buttigieg because I see the promise in him. Where I, I met him three years ago, and in, in the entire time I have known him, I have been, I've just, my respect has grown, up, grown tremendously. So the, the question but, I have... No, I, I, have I also take, have a background. I have, an, uh, um, I have a master's in urban... We're, we're very study. fortunate to have you. I have to take a break, Susie. If you can hold, I want to ask you what happens at the convention if it, in fact, if nobody comes in. I'd like to ask you the technicalities of what goes through in terms of the votes, if you can. If you can't, I understand. Sure. sure. Uh, so we're going to take, take a break. Um you know, it's always good to have things in your life that you can count on, like having the peace of mind that comes with health care coverage from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and Blue Care Network. Peace of mind knowing that you can count on access to the best care and that you'll have the technology like Blue Cross's mobile app and Blue Cross online visits with board-certified doctors to make your health care work for you around the clock, anywhere you travel. My friends at Blue Cross Blue Shield have been serving the people of Michigan for over 80 years. That's over 80 years of community involvement, making Michigan a healthier place for all of us. And over 80 years of expertise, working with doctors and hospitals to improve care, making it work better for patients. Access to care everywhere. The latest technology to make health care work for you. And over 80 years of experience and strength to stand behind you. These are things we all can count on from Blue Cross. To learn more, visit miBluesPerspectives.com. Is it possible that every person in Michigan, in every zip code, can have access to the most preferred health insurance? Can a company that is always bringing leading-edge ideas also bring the good old-fashioned roll-up-your-sleeves work we need to lift up our communities? Are we able to take 80 years of knowledge and experience and apply it every day to help everyone in Michigan? Count on it. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. And we're back on The Verge Show. Uh, we've been honored to be joined by Susie Turnbull, former vice chair of the Democratic Party and uh, backer, volunteer, uh, activist extraordinaire for Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, we're talking about, uh, before the break, what happens at the convention, the Democratic convention in Milwaukee in mid-July, uh, if nobody walks into that convention with uh, a clear uh, win. 
Right. And so I wanted to ask, Susie, if you're still there, uh, yep. you know, you were on the Democratic National Committee as vice chair. Uh, what does that uh, pr- process look like? Okay. Well, first of all, what will happen between now and then? And, and if you remember, in 2008, the process went really far. It went um, between the, when there were two candidates and also in 2016, but it was even clear more complicated in 2008 when you had Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, and there was a fight for superdelegates. Superdelegates are the um, congressmen and women, Democratic con- and governors and, um, and members of the Democratic National Committee, who total, I think at this point, close to 1,000 votes um, at the convention. After the 2016 election, um, the rules were changed uh, based on, actually, Bernie Sanders' campaign um, pushing for the rules change where superdelegates would not be able to cast their ballot on the first ballot. So that's another thing that where we have. So you'll have less votes available to you on the first ballot. So that as, decreases the odds that anybody will have enough to win on the first ballot, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, and so basically what I think is going to happen, too, is that we'll go through this process. There will be, there's got to be winnowing because, first of all, campaigns cost money, and if you don't have people, if you can't hire staff and you can't buy commercials and you can't um, fly the candidate from place to place and and all those kinds of things, you don't have a campaign. And if you don't can't have a, if you don't have the money, then it's difficult to have an organization and your message doesn't get disseminated. So candidates will drop out. So who knows? It could be two. It could be three. That are left. It could be. It it, it it could be just someone really close to the verge. So what will happen? I think is that um, there will be a uh, that the individual people who are going to be casting their vote on the second ballot will start announcing who they're supporting, and and that some of them, most of them, will probably go along with the votes of their constituents, but they're not required to. And so I think what you're going to see is people who are knowledgeable about the process and and are committed um, to the Democratic Party and committed to defeating Donald Trump, they'll make a decision and say, this is going to be our best candidate. But I don't see it's not, it's going to be all, I think, above, in the public eye, because you'll see, like in your state, in Michigan, Debbie Dingell will announce who she's supporting, and the next person will announce who they're supporting, and Governor Whitmer will be announcing, and um, and people will have a sense of where this is going. But and by I, law, uh, or by rules, after the first or second vote, uh, do they, does it have to be somebody who was running, or could the convention nominate somebody not who hadn't I, even run? I, I think that the rules will be set up at the convention itself, um, I, and that happens on the first night of the convention. 
first or second night, the first night of the convention, I believe, um, as to what the rules are. My expectation is it will be someone who has been vetted through this process. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't even imagine it going elsewhere. And in my, and, and, and obviously, I'm with Pete Buttigieg because I see that he is someone who I believe very strongly can build the coalition um, that it will take to win this election and to defeat Donald Trump. Okay, and Susie, as we've been talking, I really appreciate your walking us through that. As we've been talking, Donald Trump has been holding a news conference, you may be aware. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, since we've... F- f- You're f- not f- missing anything. We've, okay. I, 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 it's, he's on in the background and I don't hear his voice, thank God. So, but, yes. Uh, we filibustered almost through the entire show, which is phenomenal. Thank you for letting me steal you for this time. Uh, was the now? I, I felt that uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi did a marvelous job from start to finish managing uh, her caucus and and the process. I think she's been grace under fire right up until she ripped up the speech um, after the the uh, State of the Union. But um, do you think that, uh, from your uh, political judgment, uh, is the impeachment the whole thing, uh, the House and the Senate, that whole process taken together? Uh, was it a just politically, whether it had to be done or not, do, does he end up getting a bounce? Does he end up benefiting from it? Is it completely neutral or is it a net negative to Trump? I don't think we're going to know for a while. But the one thing that we will know that I, I think we can count on is that he is going to do the next outrageous thing. I think that Susan Collins' comments are going to haunt her. I think we're going to start seeing more information coming out um, that with John Bolton and the information, and, and he's, there's conversation about him being um, subpoenaed. So while people are thinking, well, this is over, and all of us, in many respects, wish it was over, just over, um, it's not going to be. It's, this is going to continue. I agree. And you just don't know what next thing he is going to do yeah. that is he can be so outrageous. He can either, either clearly more crap's going to come out about what he's already done, or he's going to do new crap. Let yeah. me ask you quickly. I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to depend on that though, because well, but we can count on it. But uh, no, well, we can me, count on. It. I mean, it's sort of like himself. that is really a fact. He can't help he's himself. Been just morning, standing at a bipartisan prayer, prayer breakfast. And and making the statements he made this morning about faith and about um, and, and the the it, it was hor- it's horrifying in many ways. And I am a person of faith, and I am offended by his comments about. Amen, faith. amen to that. Uh, are we going to win the Senate, Susie? Yeah. What are the yeah? So who goes? Who goes? Collins obviously goes. I, I think Collins is gone. Colorado. Um, Colorado is gone. I think Arizona is gone for sure. And I think we have a strong, a really strong candidate in, in South Carolina. And I think... Are we going to hold on to Doug, what's his name, in Alabama? I think we will. I think we I mean, will. He took, he took, I think that was a tough vote for him. It, because it's also, Alabama is a state where you have people of faith. And he spoke to the moral clarity that he saw, um, and he showed tremendous strength, and I think that's really important. We have an interesting one here in Michigan with John James and Gary Peters. That'll be interesting. Too close. Do you think that's going to be close? 
I do think it's going to be close. You think it's going to be close? If, if Michigan goes for Trump, there isn't any reason to believe James can't make it close. But Michigan ain't going to go for Trump. We don't know yeah. that. We don't yeah. know. See, this is the thing that I get frustrated with with the Democrats. And, and I don't know how to resolve it because I have so many Democratic friends. The, the, the thing is, you're not intellectually honest with yourself. You have to look at this through well, more than won, just your hopeful eyes. He only won by 10,000 votes, you, Kevin. I, he, he didn't in, win by he, votes. Has he, has he, he won by votes? electoral college. He won Michigan by 10,000 votes. Has, huh. he, has he picked up more support or is he losing support? He hasn't picked up any. Look, did you see the congressional? I think he's picked up support. Did you see the midterms? Hello? My Aunt I mean, Barbara. My Aunt yeah. Barbara. Jobs. It's the okay, Aunt Barbara here's test. Here's the thing. We're Aunt talking Barbara's about the issues. Them. Okay. The issues are the supper table issues, as Gretchen Whitmer said, versus what Bernie Sanders is talking about, which is getting people in jail the vote, or global warming, which is an issue. Okay. I agree. It's an issue, but it's not the one that everyone sits around the dinner table and talks about every night. They want to know the paychecks coming in, the taxes yeah. are fair. Those are the things that they're not focusing the taxes on. Taxes aren't fair. But when you say that you're going to add $35 trillion to the budget. Gretchen didn't well, say that in her response. Gretchen's response I'm talking was phenomenal, about, and she's our I'm governor. talking about the federal presidential well, race. You're, you're, well, we'll see Warren what, and and Sanders both are talking about well, but Buttigieg a isn't. huge increase. And Bloomberg isn't. Is, is Buttigieg is talking on, on tax increases to the highest um, level and corporate taxes where you saw just last night Amazon basically said, oh, we're finally paying some taxes. I mean, there's, there, there's, there's everything in Pete Buttigieg's plan is paid for, and it doesn't increase the deficit. Well, we're going to look at that carefully. Susie, I thank you so much uh, for joining us. You added, You're the best. Yeah, this was... Oh, this thank was... you. And look, can I just say one thing? Sure. I urge people, if they like what they're seeing, they go to PeteForAmerica.com and they learn more about Pete. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to learn if more If you about come him. to the state when Pete's here, please come in and join us. Yeah, we'd okay, love to have you. Okay, and call me anytime. Thank you so much, Susie. You really helped us out. Appreciate Terrific. it. Happy All the best. Be... Take uh-huh. care. Bye. So that was Susie Turnbull. Uh, former Did that fly by for you? Because it sure oh, flew yeah, by for me. She's a great guest. Well, thank for, for joining us on the, the Verge show. And join us next week. We're going to start with the hearing from Trump's friends and uh, hear what they had to say about him then and what they're saying now. In the meantime, be kind to those you love and somebody you don't know.